I want you to open the book of Ephesians this morning. Thank God. Thank you, Jesus. You know, we've just come out of a wonderful week. Uh, what some people call Holy Week, of course, I believe that every week is holy. Uh, but this is the week that this last week we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's a that's a cool week. That's a powerful week. Uh, and one of the things you celebrate during that whole time, you celebrate the gospel, you celebrate the good news. Uh, and we celebrate what Jesus did for us uh, because we celebrate the cross and the resurrection. The cross signifies to us. Uh, what Jesus took on our behalf, what he paid for for us. The resurrection uh, means that we can have life through him, we can live through him, uh, means that there's victory. Uh, And so that was a really important week to remember that, but we've got to remember that every day, every week, every part of the year, thank God. In Ephesians, we we find out in the first chapter that there's a whole bunch of stuff that just became yours through Jesus Christ without you having to lift a finger, but you having faith. Through faith, you received a great gift and a great inheritance, and that was through Jesus Christ. The moment you said, Jesus is Lord, the moment you acknowledged that He died and rose again for you, and the moment you turned your life over to Him and took His life in place of yours, you received His inheritance. You stepped into His family. In Ephesians 1 It lays it out perfectly. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Notice that's past tense. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So it probably is a bit inappropriate For you to be on your knees every day praying for the things and asking for the things he's already granted to you. What you've got to do when he has blessed you with every spiritual blessing is by faith receive it. Thank him for it. Pray. I mean, pray that God opens your eyes to see it more. But but don't say, God, would you grant me these blessings? God, I just need these things because these are things he's already given you. He has given you. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. It says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. So that's why he did it, because of the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace. So his part was he had kind intention towards you. What does that mean? That means that God loved you enough. This is why he did it, out of love. And so the the driving force was the kind intention of his will. But here's the result, the praise and glory of his grace. Now, how does Jesus get praise and glory? How does he get that? How does that happen? Yeah, we got it. We got to give him praise and glory, right? I mean, the angels have done their part, they, and they will do more. <laughs> but it's not their job to sing the praises of, of God to the rest of humanity for, for the rest of history. God has given us that task. And you can look in the Old and New Testament. It lays it out very clearly. That's up to us is to say, God, you've been so good. I'm going to say something about it. And so it goes to the praise and glory of his grace, which he freely. That's cool. He freely bestowed. On us in the beloved. Now it says this. 
it says, in him, we have redemption. So he has blessed past tense, bestowed past tense. We have present tense. We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. And if you understand the word lavish, that sounds like it's way more than you ever needed. He just poured it out in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us once again, past tense, isn't it? He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention. There's that phrase again, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have, is that past, present, or future? That's past tense. We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him also, You also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were, past tense, sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now that redemption, remember, we've experienced a big part of that redemption. It says we have redemption through his blood, right? So your spirit got born again, raised up, you got purchased, bought back. But there is still a redemption to come. And what is that? I mean, we, you know, we're saved right now, right? But I still live in this sack of meat. This thing still, I mean, it, thank God, he, through his healing power, I don't have to go through the rest of my life coughing and wheezing all the time. But it's not going to live forever. It's not made to last forever. There is a redemption to come. And the Bible talks about that great day when we receive our glorified bodies. See, Jesus didn't die for your, just for your spirit. He died for that body as well. That's why it's going to be resurrected. And so there is more to come. But thank God we've received that redemption today and we can walk in that redemption today. Yeah, we look forward to that redemption, but we also walk in what we have right now. So I want you to see through that first chapter of Ephesians, first few verses, that he says, we have an inheritance. It's already ours. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. That's us. That's all through Jesus, right? That is through Jesus. When you have an inheritance, that's what you're... Whoever left you in the inheritance, they paid for it. They worked for it. That's not what you work for. It's what they work for, right? That's what inheritance is. We've obtained that inheritance. So thank God as believers, we know that there's stuff that's ours. The moment you got born again, before you did anything right... The moment you said Jesus is Lord and you received him and you truly were born again, you received and obtained that inheritance. Do you know there's more than that? That inheritance, those spiritual blessings, praise God for that. That's huge. But you know, the Bible also talks about, see, that's what's ours just by being a believer. Just by being born again, that's yours. Did you know there are rewards in heaven? Not everybody gets them. There'll be those that show up in heaven. The Bible says there'll be those that show up in heaven and are saved from the fire, thank God, but have nothing to show for their life. There'll be no wreath. There'll be no prize. But thank God they're saved and they will be happy. I don't believe they're going to be weeping on that day because they are going to be with Jesus forever. 
I believe that whoever's born again, I mean, like we said, that thief on the cross had no time to do anything right. No time to do a right thing. And Jesus saved him, said, you're going to be in paradise with me tonight. That thief had no time to prove he was real. He just believed. But here's the deal. We're in a race. We're in a race to win. You know, when you got born again, if the whole goal was just to save you from hell, that was it. Then why did God put Adam on the earth to start with? Right? Might as well just kept him up there in heaven. Would have been easier. If the whole goal is to keep you out of hell, why, why wouldn't you just get raptured the moment you got born again? We say, well, it's to preach to more people. I suppose that's true. But God could totally short fuse this whole thing and just say, okay, cut off time. Nobody else is being born. We're just going to get the rest of these people uh, saved and get, off, get them off to heaven real quick. Here's the deal. There's more than just a ticket to heaven. Thank God. That's why God put us here. Now, we know the gospel the gospel, sometimes we think of the gospel just as heaven. But, you know, I've, I know that the gospel means so much more than that because the Bible says in Paul's letter to Corinth, he says that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? Bringing man back to God. It says, namely, that was God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, bringing them back, and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So thank God, look at this, here's the deal. When you got born again, you didn't stay the same. You didn't stay the old person. Something changed. Why? Because now you and God were brought back together. You didn't have to wait till heaven for that. Heaven's going to be awesome. But right now, right now, you are reconnected with God. And you can be just as connected with God as Adam was. You can be just as connected with God as Jesus was because he said, I want them to be one with us just as I'm one with you. He said, I'm giving them my spirit. If you have God's spirit living inside of you, it can't get much more than that. Okay, so here's the deal. There is that possession that we already have, the inheritance we already have. Thank God that came as part of being born again. But I know that there's even more than that. That God rewards the diligent. God rewards the faithful. That there are rewards in heaven that, that uh, I believe that God wants you to, to, to know about and to seek. And you don't just do it for the reward, thank God. But know that there is a life more than just saying, I got a ticket to heaven. God has more for you right now. Let's look at the book of Romans, if we could. Did I say Romans? First Corinthians. They're right next to each other. You can give me a pass. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, Paul is an interesting guy, isn't he? He starts out as the worst terrorist, becomes the, the greatest apostle. You know, I don't know if God calls him the greatest apostle, but in our minds, he often, he ranks up pretty high, doesn't he? He said, I mean, it made sense to him that God would use him to show his grace because he said, I needed, I needed mercy. I was the worst. He said, I held the record. I was the chief of sinners. He actually says, I am the chief of sinners, but that doesn't mean he's a sinner anymore. He just means I'm the record holder. I'm still, <laughs> I still have the record. <laughs> I'm not a sinner but, uh, man, if you wanted to compare notes, I'd still beat you. I, I, you know, 
No pun intended. So he's an interesting character. Then he gets born again, right? And Jesus doesn't go, I mean, he gets knocked down. And maybe your conversion experience was different than Saul's. I imagine it was. But, you know, God, Jesus was uh, interesting. He knocks him on the ground, blinds him, (laughs) and then tells him to walk into the city, which is hilarious, right? Doesn't give him somebody to guide. I mean, just, well, maybe one of his friends guided him. But, you know, you could have done something else. But God's you know, blinds him way outside the city and says, go ahead, walk into the city. But then here's the deal. Jesus says to him, here's what you're going to do. You will do this. You will do this. You will do this. And Saul just goes, okay. Maybe your experience was different. Maybe, maybe God was a little bit more... Um, Uh, you know, persuasive with you and just said, hey, buddy, you want to go do some work for me? Maybe that's what he said to you. Maybe maybe he treated you like my kindergarten teacher treated me. My kindergarten teacher, you know, I hated crafts. I hated coloring. I hated drawing. Hated that. I mean, children's ministers from Loon Lake can tell you when I was a little kid, they made us color our memory verses. Why? Is that going to get me closer to God, really? Not trying to be Michelangelo here. So we made us color our memory verses. And uh, of course, the disciples in mine all wore plaid because I could just do stripe, 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 done. No coloring. Just a simple stripe, stripe, stripe. And so my kindergarten teacher at one point said to my parents, said, Jonathan is a great student. He's doing great and everything else, but he's, he won't color. He won't do crafts. And my mom said, well, how did you ask him? She said, I said, Jonathan, do you want a color? And he always says, no. And, and mom says, well, you got to quit asking him. You just tell him you're going to color now. <laughs> she said, you asked him, do you want to? And he's being honest. No, I don't. He thinks there's a choice. So maybe God said to you, hey, buddy, you want to do some stuff for me? And you went, yeah, sure, that sounds good. But with, with Saul, he said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to this guy and get your eyes back. Then you're going to go preach to the Jews. They're not going to like it. Then you're going to go and preach to to kings and rulers for my name's sake. But wait a second. You're not having supper with them. You might be in bond. I mean, he tells them this later, of course, because, you know, sometimes God has to ease us into it. But he says, you're going to preach in front of kings. And maybe when Saul heard that, he thought, oh, good. I'm going to be the special guest at all the royal events. He didn't know that preaching in front of kings meant he was on trial and he comes handcuffed and This is preaching. God was very, Jesus was very straightforward. You're going to do this. I bought you for a reason. Here's what you're going to do. And so here's what he says in in 1 Corinthians 9. Now, you know all this great revelation we have, like in Ephesians, about the inheritance that we've received, what Jesus paid for with the cross. Thank God. Brother Paul got a revelation of all that through Jesus Christ. It was a magnificent revelation and it changed his life. It changed our lives. But here's what he says about himself. He doesn't think he's going to coast. 1 Corinthians 9. He's already begun speaking about how he's explaining to them because they've had some weird apostles come in that tried to just take stuff from them. The only reason these guys came to town was to get their money. Did you know we have to turn down 
people from time to time from preaching here. Sometimes just because we're overscheduled. Sometimes because things aren't working out. Other times because some people just come by and they just want your money. That's all they want. We don't invite those people. Because those people aren't true apostles of the Bible. I mean, we were go- we we're going to send them away blessed. We we're going to send them away with a big offering. But I don't want them to come for that reason. And so there were some apostles that had come for that reason. And were just taking and devouring from them. And the apostle Paul said, these aren't the real guys. These aren't the real deal. And he, he, he begins to talk about the fact that when he first came to them, he says, I have a right to get a salary from you guys. He says, that's right. He says, even Jesus told us that's the, that we should make a living from the gospel if we're ministers. He said, but for you guys, I wanted to prove to you something. He said, I took nothing from you. I, I, I just said, here it is without charge. I'm not doing anything. Not that you'd ever charge for the gospel. That's free. But he's just saying, I, I did my own work. I worked with my own hands. And he's explaining to them that he has shown them that he's a real apostle. And he says this, I could have done this, I could have done that, I could have used this authority. But in verse 15, he says, but I've used none of these things. And I'm not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case. For it would be better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. What's he saying? You start paying me now, I don't have anything to boast about. I'd rather you not pay me. (laughs) He says, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For I am under compulsion. Do you hear that? The Apostle Paul said, if I just preach, I've got nothing to brag about because I have to preach. I've got no choice. I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Now that's somebody who knows what they're called to do. It's taking it pretty seriously. He says, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily... I have a reward. But if it's against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may make the offer of the gospel without charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Now, he's talking very personally here. This isn't for everybody, but this is what he's saying. Here's how I figured it. He says, I can, I can boast in something because he goes if i just preach the gospel because i have to i don't get a reward but if i do it willingly because i want to do it there's a reward for me do you see that the apostle paul is there any doubt guys that he's born again no there's no doubt about that we're not talking about being born again right now he's talking about whether i preach or whether i don't preach in fact he doesn't say no i'm sorry don't preach isn't an option whether I preach willingly or under compulsion. So I, I, I can picture this. Now, this is just me picturing this, but I, I picture the Apostle Paul's thinking, if I stop preaching, if I just say, nope, I'm not doing it today, Jesus, he might knock me down on the road again and go, yes, you are. Pick me up by the ear and lead me where I, want, where I, I need to preach. I don't know how he pictures it, but somehow there's a version of this in his mind where he's preaching under compulsion. Maybe it's like Jeremiah. God didn't give Jeremiah the words that everybody wanted to hear. Jeremiah wasn't the guy that got to go, Eric, oh, I see, I see cattle on a thousand hills, Eric. I see cattle on 10,000 hills. I see a whole staff of a thousand people, Eric. Oh, man, that, that wasn't what he got to say. Because the Israelites were being punks. And he had to go and say, return, return. If you don't return, they're coming for you. And nobody listened to him. In fact, they threw him in a pit to die. 
And so at one point he goes, no, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not saying anything. God says, yes, you are, buddy. That's what I called you for. No, you can't make me do it. And he tried to hold it in. Remember, God said, I have put my words in your mouth. He doesn't say, I'm going to put them when you need to say them. I've already put them in there. So Jeremiah tried to go without saying it. And he's trying to hold it in. And he says, I have to speak for it's like a fire shut up in my bones. And we we people, spirit filled people, specifically in the in the Pentecostal movement, uh, began to say, oh, begin to use that like it was a like a oh fire, like the fire of God, you know, fire shut up in my bones, you know, like it was a wonderful thing. Oh, I got fire shut up in my bones. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. But he's not he's not like praise the Lord fire in my bones. He's like, ah, fire in my bones. Thousand times worse than heartburn. This just is not fun. We, we, we have totally been in church too long when we think that fire in your bones is a good thing. It's like people who say, well, they say, you know, you've been going through some hard times. Well, it's rough all over. And you know, the Bible says the rain falls on the unjust and the righteous. Because to them, they've lived in the city for so long that rain is bad. They don't understand that that verse was written to people in the Middle East where rain is a good thing, where he's saying, when God blesses me, people around me get blessed. They've been playing baseball too long, playing video games. Oh, it's raining again. Oh, I hate this. I need to live on a ranch for a few years. Hey? And the people said, amen. So Jeremiah says, I'm, I'm not doing it. And, and when he, he said, I'm not preaching anymore, it, it just, he couldn't hold it in. So maybe the Apostle Paul was like, if I, if I stop preaching, I can go two days, maybe three days. And then I, I'll just be like, oh, I got to preach this. So he says, much better for me to preach willingly. And he has two options, guys. And I do believe in free will. I believe that God's already seen what you're going to do, but I believe you have the choice. So... I believe the Apostle Paul had two choices here, and one ended with a reward and one with no reward. Both ended with him in heaven, sure. But one was him holding a reward, and one was him with no reward. You have that option today. Did you know that? Maybe you're just saying, I got a ticket, I got a ticket, and that's all that matters. But you know there's more than that. Thank God, I'm not, I'm not downplaying heaven. I never would. But you know, well, that's another subject for another time. So he says, what then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. In verse 19, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews, I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. So what is he saying? He said, I didn't go back to the law. I didn't put myself back under the law, but I lived like they did. I didn't break their laws. I didn't flaunt my liberty. I walked in there and acted just like I was under the law so that I may not be a stumbling block to them. He said to the Jews, I became just like a Jew. I mean... And, and he, this applied to his missionary team. 
You remember Timothy. Timothy was a young man, godly young man. He had a Greek dad. And having a Greek dad means something in Timothy's day. It means when he was a baby, he didn't get circumcised. So Paul brings Timothy. Come on, Timmy. We're going to go preach. He says, Timothy. And be, now, Timothy has heard Paul say this. Circumcision is of no value. And I said this a few weeks ago. You, some of you were here, some of you weren't, so I'll repeat it. But Paul said to, to Timothy, he says, circumcision of, is of no value of the flesh. It's circumcision of the heart that God's looking for. So whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, God receives you. And, and Timothy's heard this preached. He's believed this. He got born again. And the Apostle Paul said, buddy, God sees your heart. And that's what's mattering here. It's not your flesh, it's your heart. So you're accepted in the beloved. And, and Timothy says, oh, good, yay. But then they go on a missions trip and and Timothy's all pumped because he gets to go with Paul on the missions trip. And Paul says, oh, by the way, did I mention, you you know, they didn't have vaccinations, so you didn't have to get any of that. Did I mention um, you need to get circumcised? And Timothy's like, what, what? (laughs) Do you mean I need to pray again? Like, like a heart thing? No, no, real. Well, this is the real deal. I, I don't care if you find a doctor or do it yourself, but it needs to get done. Timothy's like, you know, I'm like 22, man. This is not a good time for me. I'm not going to get any more detail than that. There are kids in the room. But he's riding a horse to wherever he's going, and that's not going to be comfortable. (laughs) And so here, Timmy. Timmy has to get circumcised, even though God sees him the same. But he does it so that he might win these people to Christ. He says in verse 21. To those who are without the law as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I may win those who are without law to the weak. I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. Do you know what all means means? Any way I can. Any available avenue to do it, any way that I can get these people born again, I'm going to use it. He says, by all means, I may save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. So is he talking about being born again? No, he's already born again. But the issue here is, I want to partake in the joy of the harvest. I want to partake in the reward of the harvest. I want to be one of those people rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. And he says, so I do all things. I do all things. Now that's all things. I take that quite literally. All things is all things. That means nothing in his life was disconnected from his call. Nothing in his life was disconnected from his purpose. Can you say that? Can you feel that about yourself and think that, that, that nothing in my life is disconnected from what God has called me to? That doesn't mean everything in your life is church. Because church isn't all that God called you to. Thank God. Church is really equipping you for what God called you to. God didn't call you to just this. God called you out there. That's why when believers get into this mindset that they think all of ministry takes place on a platform, you're missing out. Where you think, if I'm not on the platform, I'm not being, I'm not, God's not using my gifts. That's really sad. Because that's where He wants you used. That's where He wants us to make the biggest impact. 
And so here's the deal. Can we say like Paul, everything in my life has something to do with what he's called me to do. He says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I might become a partaker of it. That I get to share in the joy and the reward of the harvest. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. That's pretty cool. And we're not talking, once again, we're not talking about getting born again here. We're talking about prizes, rewards. Something at the end of the line. Because we're all getting to the finish line. You'll all get a participation medal. They gave this to those in soccer. I thought it was the dumbest thing in the world. But I had a supportive family, so maybe somebody who didn't needed that. I don't know. But for me, it was like, if I didn't win, I don't even want to look at that trophy. And if I did win, I was upset that everybody else got one. Because what was the point? You know, but I was a bit of a prodigal son's brother at the time. So I got, thank God I've been redeemed. So uh, here's the deal. We all get the inheritance of Christ. We all get the reward that he paid for. And that's the biggest thing of all. That's the biggest celebration of all. That's every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. That's a whole lot. That's nothing to be sad about. But there is more when we get to, the, when we get to heaven. We stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There will be an award ceremony. Do you know you won't stand in front of the great right throne of judgment? That's not for you. God will not judge you on the judgment day as far as your sins, your transgressions, because Jesus has already been judged for you. So you don't stand up and say, God, say, why'd you do this and why'd you do that? That's not going to happen. There will be a day of accounting. We're, we're not talking about what we did wrong. We're going to talk about what we did right. He's not going to talk about what you did against me. He's going to say, what'd you do for me? You know what? That's going to be a happy day. I don't think that's a sad day. That's a happy day. But he says, run in such a way that you may win. In other words, winning has everything to do with how you're running. That's simple logic, isn't it? He says this. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we... And imperishable. Now the wreath was something that in those games they would receive. And it was just, you know, like a, a, a laurel wreath. And it was a, a, a prize of the champion. You got to wear that thing. And man, that something to be proud of. You didn't just get to buy that in the, in the gift shop on the way out of, of the games. You had to win it. And he says, people do all this. They discipline themselves. They exercise. I mean... They don't, they don't go out and, and, and eat a pizza before game day. I mean, they're, I mean, they're having to discipline themselves for this race. But they do it for the prize. You ever thought of what an Olympic athlete goes through if it's worth it? You're just getting a piece of metal around your neck. But they will go for years and years eating something specific, exercising every day. Their life is tied up in that gold medal. Sometimes it's pretty sad because we know there's way more to life than that. Because that is perishable. It's perishable. That gold's not going with you. 
Now, if somebody does it for the glory of God and God uses it, praise the Lord. Like Eric Little, praise God. But he says they do it for a perishable wreath. We're doing this for an imperishable. We, we exercise self-control so that we may run in a certain way. He says this. They then, he says in verse 26, Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. He doesn't say I won't go. If I preached to others, I, you know, I'd go to hell. He's saying, I don't want to be disqualified from this prize that I'm aiming for. He says, I'm pretty excited about that. And so there's a way I live my life. He says, I do everything for the sake of the gospel. I become all thanks to all men for the sake of the gospel. You may say to somebody like that, you're obsessed, man. You just need to get a hobby. But you don't understand. I think he's got a, a clue about how glorious that reward is. How wonderful that being a partaker of the gospel is. You have, you have the, the free will to go through the rest of your life, sitting on the couch, sitting on the sidelines, and doing nothing. You can do that. But I guarantee you, Jesus said, if you bear much fruit, I, you, abide in me that you may bear much fruit, and you bear much fruit, your joy will be made full. There is something that Jesus had that we all want, and that's the fullness of joy that comes with the harvest. In fact, let's look in John. John chapter 4. We've read this several times. But it's still so real to me. Of course, you know, Jesus has come to Samaria. He's told a woman everything that she had done and everything that she was. And ah, man, he read her mail and she knew that he was the Messiah. The coolest thing is that this reject, this lady that society didn't like anymore, got so excited she forgot that she was afraid of everybody. She forgot that people didn't want to hear from her. And ran into the city and said, I found him. I found the one who is the Messiah. And the whole city of Samaria came out to see Jesus with expectation. You can't hope for much better than that. John chapter 4. Verse 27. At this point, his disciples came and they were amazed that he'd been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot, went into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all the things that I've done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. You see, while he was focused on one thing, the harvest. He was focused on these people coming. That's all he can think about. And you know, it's really true. When you focus on one thing, everything else fades away. But the disciples are still thinking like humans, still thinking flesh, and they go, eat something. And Jesus says, he says, I've got food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now, we've talked about this before, but bear with me. Let's repeat it. What does food do for us? Nourishes us. What's that? 
Gives us strength, gives us energy, makes us happy. I mean, how many of you like to eat? I like to eat. I don't eat because I, I just I don't eat because I don't want just don't want to die. That's one of the coolest things is that these things that we I mean God made it fun to eat. He could have just made it terribly painful not to eat, but He let us enjoy our food. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus says all these things that food it's enjoyable, it's nourishing, it gives me strength, it gives me life, it recharges me. That's He says this is what does it for me doing the will of God and accomplishing his work, that makes me, that gives me energy, that gives me life, it makes me happy, it recharges me, it, it's what I live for. He says in verse 35, Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white. For harvest. That means they are ready. You've waited long enough. We're waiting around thinking, God, when are you going to send this great harvest? Do you know that's the same today as it was back then? We're still saying, God, when is the great harvest of souls? God, send the great revival. And Jesus is saying, look, it's here. Just go get it. The harvest is not going to march itself in. Someone's got to go get it. You know how ready the world is for the gospel? So ready that they've been filling that hole for the supernatural with a bunch of junk. Why do you think the Harry Potter and Twilight movies are doing so well? Total garbage. Total garbage. But they know there's something more. And they fill that desire with things that don't satisfy. Things that aren't worth it. You know, we say, God, Send the harvest. And what we expect is that everybody will come knocking on our door and say, I'm ready. What do I got to do? We expect that people will all, that the church will be filled with people that just found this place. And that does happen. Thursday night in Loon Lake, we had a, a guy, a young man come in that said he didn't know we were having a Bible study. He was just drawn to that place. <laughs> he had been drinking, but he got sober real quick. Got born again. Said the moment he stepped in, he felt this intense warmth. And he said to me, and this is the funniest thing. He said to me like I knew what he was talking about. It's not the warmth you feel when you're drunk. <laughs> he said, it's a different warmth. He said, oh, he said, I can't describe it. It's a different warmth. And I said, that's the presence of God. And he said, I just want, I, I just, I mean, I want to give everything to him. I, I, I want to be free from all this stuff. So we prayed over him. We, we prayed over him, anointed him with oil. He, handed, he put in my hand a bunch of stuff that was part of his addiction, broken up, stuck in my hand, and said, you get rid of this, get rid of it, throw it away for me. So people do get drawn to our places. Do you know what? You also can go out and get them. The harvest is ready. He says, lift up your eyes. Look, it's ready. Do farmers expect... That wild animals are just going to gather their harvest for them? Like this is some sort of weird snow white tale where they, they get you dressed in the morning. The birds get you dressed and tie your bow in your hair and then go out and gather harvest for you. That's not how it happens. As believers, we've been sent as, as laborers in the field, as ministers of reconciliation. People are waiting for you. 
The harvest is ready. It's more ready than you think it is. It's more ready than you've been praying for. It's ready. And so he says here, he says, lift up your eyes. Quit looking at your feet. Quit looking at what you're doing. Quit looking at that food. Lift up your eyes and look to the fields. They are white under harvest. That means they're ready. They're ripe. He says, already he who reaps is receiving wages. Listen to that. He who reaps is receiving wages. What's happening to the guy that's not reaping? No wages. You're not getting anything. It says he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal. So that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Who are the people that get to rejoice? Who are the people having a party? The ones who are sowing, the ones that are reaping, right? The ones that aren't involved in the process, they may be fine. It doesn't say, Jesus didn't say, I'm going to go and smack him in the back of the head. He doesn't say anything like that. But I'm telling you, the ones that get to rejoice are the ones that are involved in the process. The ones that are sowing and reaping, you know, I mean, you may have gotten discouraged in saying every time I share the gospel, people reject me. They turn away. Maybe you're the one planting the seed. Don't get ripped off. Don't get discouraged about it because God will take care of his own seed. God takes care of his word. He sees that it goes and doesn't return to him void. That's not your job. That's his. But guess what? Whether you planted the seed or got the harvest, what is it? What does it look like when you go get the harvest? That means somebody said, all right, I surrender. I, I'm, giving, I'm giving my life to Jesus. That's, that's you bringing in the harvest. But whether or not you're the person that they smacked in the grocery store because you told them something they don't want to hear. And I hope you said something nice because we don't want them to trip over you. Remember, Paul said, I become all things to all men so they don't trip over me. They may trip over Jesus. In fact, they did several times. That's why he got stoned and beaten. Not because he was a jerk but because they didn't like Jesus. So maybe they didn't like Jesus the first time you told them about Jesus. That's okay. You get to rejoice the same way as the person that brought the harvest in. God's not keeping this little chart in heaven that's got stars in it. That it, You're the one who prayed the prayer with them. Okay, you get a star. No results with you. You just said something. You, just, you, just, you told them they need to be born again, but, but they didn't. No star for you. That's not how he does it. He says, the one that plant and the one that harvest, they get to rejoice together. And if you know the, the way Jesus talked about rejoice, it wasn't just like a giggle and a smile. Rejoice was a party. They've got something to rejoice about. The world, once again, the world has sold us this weird lie. That it has what we need to be happy. That it has joy for us. It does not have joy. It doesn't have joy doesn't have access to it. All that stuff is just a covering, just a quick fix. It's nothing real. But here's where the real joy is found. Participating in the harvest. Becoming a member of the kingdom. Not, not, I mean, you're a citizen of the kingdom through Jesus Christ, but actually partaking in that work. Of course, we know that any work you ever do has got to be through Jesus Christ. You'll never be rewarded for something. Hear, hear this. You'll never be rewarded for something you did on your own. Did you know that? You may think you'd be rewarded more for something you did on your own. 
you will not be rewarded for anything you did on your own. Because Jesus did nothing on his own. You're not meant to do anything on your own. We do everything through the Father and through the Spirit by His command and by His strength and power. Thank God. When someone said God helps those who help themselves, they didn't get it from the Bible. Praise God. That doesn't even make sense. So here's, here's what it says. In this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So let's wrap all this up this morning with thinking about how the Apostle Paul saw it. He said, if I do this willingly, there's a reward for me. If I don't do it willingly, I'm still going to do it. But it's just a stewardship. It's just a job. But if I participate willingly, there's a reward waiting for me. And he goes, I want that reward. I want it. Now, I don't know what he got a glimpse of. You know, some people say he was the man. He said, I know a man who went up to the third heaven. A lot of people say, well, that was him. He was talking about himself. Maybe, maybe not. But either way, he got a glimpse of something. And this guy, as much, I mean, think about the fact, oh, wow, that all of the murder, all of the terrorism, all of the stuff he did against the church was not enough to disqualify him. Because Jesus Christ made him so clean, so new, so perfect in his eyes that that man was not disqualified by anything he did in his past. He was qualified by what, he, by what Jesus did and he was going to win because he was participating in the gospel. And he says, I do everything for the sake of the gospel. There's nothing you can find in my life that doesn't line up with my mission in life. Does that mean we can't go to Disneyland? No, go to Disneyland, have fun. But don't let that take away from what God called you to do. I do all things for the sake of the gospel that I may become a partaker in it. I get to have the party. I get to have the reward. I get to have the joy. There is a joy in harvest. There's a crown. There's a joy. Jesus had that soul in her joy, had that harvest joy. So happy that he didn't even want to eat. You ever been so excited you can't eat? Or you don't think about eating? And you're annoyed when somebody brings it up? I've been like that. I'm just so excited and somebody's like, no, we need to eat lunch. And you're like, don't you know what's happening right now? Can you imagine? I can imagine my little boy starts walking. I'm not going to be like, okay, that's cool. I need lunch. Man, I need lunch. And if T were to be like, Jonathan, quit looking at the boy for a minute. I got pizza for you. I'd be like, he's walking. There are some things that are bigger than food. There are some things that are bigger than video games. There's bigger things than movies. There is life. And you get to be a part of it. Now listen, if you're here and you're just saying, I have... I have no idea what you're talking about. And it doesn't sound fun to me. I actually hate that. Then you've not experienced it. Maybe you tried to do this on your own. And just tried to force it because you felt you had to. Maybe you just tried to force this whole thing. And you felt like like a Jehovah's Witness or something. But there is joy. But you not, I mean, if you haven't experienced it, it's hard to describe. There is joy to giving. There's joy to sowing and reaping. 
And I'm talking about souls. And God wants you to know that joy. But it's going to take yourself viewing that as the big thing in your life. If I do all things for the sake of the gospel, what do you think is the most important thing in my life? The gospel. Of course, Jesus is number one, right? But the number one thing is the gospel. Being reconciled to God and seeing others reconciled to God was his biggest thing in life. His biggest thrill, his biggest desire, the thing he looked forward to, his obsession. It's okay to be obsessed with that. Because Jesus said, seek first my kingdom. And all, seek first his king, the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Be obsessed with the kingdom and I'll, I'll worry about all the other stuff. You don't have to have divided affections. Maybe people tell you that that's not balance. But I'm telling you, that's God's balance. Your affections don't have to be divided. You can be completely obsessed with the kingdom of God. And let me tell you something. Here's the deal. When you get born again, and you say, you know, when T and I got married, for instance, my relationship with God didn't suffer when T and I got married. My relationship with God got stronger because it was of God. And in fact, we both say, I love Jesus most of all. He's number one in our lives. We're not one, number one in each other's lives. But because Jesus is number one, I can, be a, I can be a better husband to her than I could if she was number one. Does that make sense? Not to the world it doesn't, but to us it does. I'm a better husband because Jesus is number one. I love her more because I love Jesus. Because now I'm not doing it in my strength, I'm doing it in His. I'm not walking in my love, I'm doing it in His love. I'm not forgiving with my limited forgiveness, I'm forgiving with His forgiveness. So you may say, if I become obsessed with the kingdom, all these things will suffer. But you've got to trust God. Have some faith. Because he says, be obsessed. When he says, seek, you study it out. It's an obsessive, zoning, laser focus. When he says, seek the kingdom, be obsessed with the kingdom, he worries about everything else. He doesn't worry. But he takes care of everything else. And the reason we haven't done it yet Some of us have, some of us haven't. The reason a lot of people haven't done it yet is because they don't really believe that God will do that. They don't really trust that God will take care of all these other things. Cast your cares on Him, for He cares for you. Because if you keep the cares, Jesus said they'll choke out the Word in your life. So if you take the desires and the affections and the cares and put them on Him and become obsessed with His purpose, His kingdom, His righteousness, you're going to have joy. Your family will be taken care of. You'll be taken care of. And you get to rejoice with the harvesters. I'm not trying to sell you. You know what? I'm not a used car salesman. Never have been. I hated selling chocolates in school. I hated going to people's doors. I hated getting bottles. I'm not trying to convince you of something. I... Are the youth doing that? It's a, oh, it was a good fundraiser. It's a great fundraiser, yeah. But I hated it. I've never been a salesman. I've never been, because I always feel like it's manipulation. I've always, it's, now I realize there's godly salespeople here today. And that's not what you're doing. But I always felt like, I mean, I, I don't want to just try to convince you of something. And this morning, I don't want to try to convince you of something that's not true. I want you to see it for yourself. 
I'm not trying to sell you on something. I don't need help. I'm not asking like, guys, we're going down the drain. This isn't a, this isn't a pep rally. This is the word of God in your life. And I believe that if you'll receive it, it's going to work. Lukewarm, this lukewarm stuff, is, it's not going to work. Not in this day and age, not ever, but especially not now. If you've been halfway on the fence, you've been straddling the fence between on fire for Jesus and totally sold out to the world. No wonder you're stressed. No wonder you're miserable because that was not what you're created for. Let's go 100% here. Like we said in Isaiah 55 earlier this morning, why are you wasting your money on what doesn't satisfy? Why are you wasting your time on what does nothing? He says, come to me, and I've got everything you need. Come to me, and I've got everything you'll ever need. Be bold enough, be brave enough, have the guts to sell out to Jesus. Completely. The world needs to see radical Christianity. Not radical religion. Not, not, radical, uh, not radical churchism, but radical followers of Jesus Christ that show the world who Jesus really is. That love radically. That give radically. That preach radically. Now we may think that the world really likes when we dumb things down. But I, I, you know what? Maybe, maybe your buddy gives you what you want, but daddy gives you what you need. You need. You need somebody to speak truth to you. And the world, they may tell you they want somebody to give them a lukewarm message. They may tell you they want to mix all this other stuff with the gospel. But they don't know what life is until they hear it, until they sense it, until they feel it. And so, you know what? Jesus was not living halfway and saying, oh, I just don't want to offend anybody. He was full out. You either loved him or hated him. And that's what the world needs. These Christians who are just saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. In fact, I do everything for the gospel. I didn't say you did everything for this church. I didn't say you did everything for, for, for some you know, ministry that, that is man-made. I'm saying you do everything for the gospel. When you do, you become a partaker of the gospel. A sharer in the gospel. A sharer in the rewards. A sharer in the party. And you haven't seen a party until you see a God party. <laughs> That sounds like something a lame youth leader would tell you. But I'm telling you for sure. That's for real. There's a joy that you have not experienced until you've experienced it in Jesus Christ. 